just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Saturday. We are into the weekend. Hopefully you'll find some time to just relax, enjoy yourself, spend some time with family and friends. I'm a little pissed off today. I was supposed to watch my granddaughter last night, but that fell through. Mom and Dad did not go out. I didn't get to babysit my granddaughter and possibly her brother. That sucks to me. I mean, when you're retired, you look forward to only a certain amount of things, and that was one of the things I was really looking forward to. But somehow, we'll set it up so I get to see her and her brother at some point very soon. Now, when I do my TikToks, I will put them on Facebook and on Instagram. I don't do separate stuff for Facebook and Instagram. I'm not as interested in Facebook and Instagram as I am TikTok and, of course, the podcast. So I'm pretty much just reusing the TikToks and each of the other social media platforms, mainly because, well, you know, I'm lazy. Uh, But that's what I do. And I will get a number of people, people I absolutely adore on Facebook and on Instagram, that will respond to those uh, TikToks that show up there. That said, uh, yesterday, (laughs) in one of my TikToks, I was talking about uh, what was going on with the upcoming election and how everybody's saying that now the Republicans have one up on the Democrats. Actually, in that TikTok, I was talking about the media. I was talking about the media because the media comes out and says, historically speaking, the Republicans will win after a Democrat wins the presidency. And while that is true, I point out, as I've done many times, that what we're dealing with right now is something we've never seen in history. So to think the midterms will end up like every other time in history, that's fucking ridiculous. And then shortly after that, the media came out and said, you know, the Democrats are coming back. Things are looking good. And they should have said that. I mean, with the Republicans overturning Roe v. Wade, um, talking about taking away Medicare and Social Security and any number of other things, of course, that's going to cost them votes. So it's not hard to suggest, well, this is working well for the Democrats. But now we're getting toward the midterms and, and now the the right, certainly, and even the left is saying, well, you know, the Republicans are making some inroads here. It's going to be close. What happens if the Republicans take the House and the Senate? And in the TikTok, I said, listen, the media is not your friends. They are not here to inform you. They are here to inflame you, to scare you, to make you nervous. And the reason they want to do that is because that'll cause you to watch their programming more. You're scared, so you got to watch what's happening. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, the media isn't about informing the public. It's about stirring the shit. Because when things are bad, that is good for them. Case in point, we had the hurricane down in Florida. It comes through the state of Florida and devastates and kills people and destroys property. And uh, these media type were giddy as motherfuckers while this is going on. They like this. They enjoy it because it's good television. And the same goes for elections. They like to play off both sides to get people all worked up so they watch their programming. Now, as I've told you all along, there is nothing the Republicans have done between 2020 and today that suggests they're gaining more votes than they had in 2020, and they lost big in 2020. Now, there are other aspects, gerrymandering and, you know, locations of where people are running for election, but I just don't see it uh, the way some of these people do. You know, you get the Trumplifux will say, oh, the red wave's coming How is that possible? Please tell me. (laughs) 
the blue wave makes more more sense, but will it happen? We really don't know. What I suggest to you is don't listen to the media and don't pay any attention to the polls. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. In 2016, the polls said that Hillary Clinton would beat Donald Trump. Yeah, they fucked up there. In 2020, a lot of the polls were saying, oh, Donald Trump's going to be close. Yet he lost by 7 million votes. So the polls aren't worth anything at this point. It really depends on who the sampling is, where they're from, their age, all this other stuff. I mean, I'm hearing about polls with a sampling of 700 people. That's not a fucking good poll. So don't regard the polls. When it comes down to it, it's all going to be all about how many people turn out. And as I talked to Ed earlier today or yesterday on the podcast, There's a lot of people coming out down in Georgia, unprecedented amounts of people coming out to vote early in Georgia for the midterms. And we're going to talk more about that because Joe Biden tends to agree with me about the turnout possibilities for the midterm elections. I've taken the long way to get to my point here. So I posted that TikTok on Facebook And I got a lot of the typical answers from other people of a like mind. But then guess who crops up? Brian Wallenberg, the Trump humper who I had on the podcast. Now, (laughs) I don't agree with anything Brian Wallenberg says. I don't think he's a very bright man. But I got to give him this. If I looked at all the listens on every podcast I've done, Far and away, that podcast I did with Brian has the most listens. So I got to give him respect for that. But even after being on the podcast and being kind of embarrassed, he comes onto my Facebook page, listens to the TikTok where I was talking about just what I told you about. He says, sounds like you're afraid of the red wave. (laughs) I said, Brian, really? You want to wade into this to me? Do you want to come on the show and and give me your facts and figures? You seem to be missing a lot of those last time, so we'll give you another chance. And, of course, he comes back and he says, I thought we agreed to talk after the midterms. I said, well, we can do that, too, if you'd like. But you seem to not be able to help yourself from making stupid comments, uninformed comments. And Brian's one of these guys, you can hammer him, and it doesn't shake him. I mean, he doesn't come back with anything, mainly because he doesn't have the wherewithal to strike back. But it's an interesting thing. And I said, so you, you want to talk after the midterms, so you can show me how I was wrong. He said, yeah. I said, well, okay. He said, but you got to come on my show. I go, whoa. Okay, you really want me on your show? Uh, I said, if you think, and we did a little thing on Facebook, but then we DM later. I said, you, you, you really think that's a good idea, me being on your show? I said, you got to promise me you don't edit it after the fact. I didn't edit anything out of my show. You're going to have to play it directly. No edits, no bullshit. So we'll see what happens. I think when he's disappointed by the midterms, and he most certainly will be disappointed. I don't think I'll end up being on his show. He's always welcome on my show, though, so we'll see what happens. And again, there's another Trump humper out there who I talked to before I won out of town who said he had an interest in being on the show. I said, you can contact me when I get back, and uh, we'll have you on whenever. And uh, haven't heard from him yet. I have a feeling I won't hear from him. He doesn't listen to the podcast as far as I know. Uh, what he does, what he did is he saw me on a, a TikTok live and I offered it to Trump LaFox to be on the show. And immediately that night, he was all about trying to get on. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised that a week later, he's maybe thought better of it. Maybe he's investigated me a little deeper or listened to the podcast. I don't know. I hope he does come through because he seems more formidable than uh, Brian Wallenberg, a little more articulate, a little more intelligent. He still 
that has no facts or truth to back up anything he says, but it might be more fun, might be more competitive should he come on. And I may be giving him too much credit. You know, I'm just basing it on the emails I've seen. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Anyhow, there are some news stories that came out yesterday that are worth noting. We know that Lindsey Graham tried to appeal the subpoena that was asking him to testify in Georgia in front of the grand jury regarding his activities um, after the 2020 election and trying to get uh, Georgia's secretary of state to overturn the election. He claims it was all part of his job as a senator, which makes no sense because he's a senator in South Carolina. So why is that motherfucker calling Georgia? That makes no sense. And the judge saw it that way and said, no, you have to testify. Now, a lot of people thought when that came out, says, well, that's it. He's just going to have to testify. I thought, yeah, no, that's not Lindsay. Lindsay is desperate not to testify because he's scared to death. You know what he's scared of? He's scared that he's going to have to tell the truth. He can't sit down in front of a grand jury and do what he's doing in the media because those are lies. And if he does that in front of a grand jury, well, that's perjury. That's fucking jail time. So Lindsey Graham's caught between a rock and a hard place. He's making all these statements in the media, but he doesn't want to sit in front of a grand jury and be forced to tell the truth. Now, it might work in his advantage because anything that's done in a grand jury is secret, so it won't get back to Daddy Trump. But still, he does not want to do it. But when this last judge said, no, you're fucked, you're going to testify, everybody thought that was the end of it. And I wasn't so sure about that. Because Lindsey Graham is a lot like Donald Trump. He's all about delaying, diverting, and distracting. So what does Lindsey Graham do? (laughs) Exactly what I expected he would do. He has now appealed that decision to the Supreme Court. Lindsay doesn't learn. He's just looking to buy time. He knows he has no chance when it goes to the Supreme Court. I mean, look at what happened to Donald Trump with regards to the top secret documents. He thought he could send it to the Supreme Court. He appointed three of those judges on the Supreme Court. He's got two others that are complicit with Donald Trump, but even they wouldn't take on the case. It's too flimsy. And to be perfectly honest, um, Lindsey Graham's case is even more flimsy. It's ridiculous. So Lindsey's smart enough to know. I mean, he's a lawyer. He knows he's not going to get the decision in his favor when it goes to the Supreme Court. He's just hoping against hope that it delays it long enough to maybe get past the midterms. I'll be perfectly honest, whether he goes and testifies before or after the uh, midterms, it really doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything. So... We'll see what happens. So <laughs> so he's now appealed it to the Supreme Court. And, and we'll see what they say. I presume what they're going to do is exactly um, what they did to Donald Trump. They'll say, yeah, no, we're not going to listen to that. That's not even going to um, be worth our time. Because it's not. It's a very stupid and frivolous appeal. And, of course, the the Supreme Court has a lot more shit to be dealing with, important shit. And they're also dealing with having <clears throat> credibility problems or integrity problems. The vast majority of the people in this country question the Supreme Court. And when you get that many people questioning the Supreme Court, well, then you don't have a Supreme Court anymore. So the likelihood that they will take on this case is almost zero. You know, it's funny about Donald Trump and uh, Lindsey Graham and some of the other trump They're all about delaying and trying to run out the clock. Well, Lindsey Graham can delay here if he likes, but he can't run out the clock. There is no end game for him. If he gets it past the midterms, so what? If it takes another six months to a year to do it, and it won't, but if it did, so what? He's still going to have to address the issue. 
Um, and, and the fact of the matter is, uh, as he's going down to, uh, to uh, Georgia to testify, when he ultimately has to do it, he may then find out he's a target. And then it's a vastly different situation. You remember, that's what happened to Rudy Giuliani. He had to go down and testify. And just before he did, they said, oh, by the way, you're a target. And that because that would have some bearing on how he answered questions, maybe plead the fifth. And I think that's what he did. He pled the fifth. So when it gets to the point where Lindsey Graham is going to have to go to Georgia, we'll find out very quickly if he's a target. And I got to be honest, I don't know how it would be that he's not. He made two calls to Secretary of State Raffensperger. He did something similar to Donald Trump, and we know Donald Trump will be a target in this issue. So Lindsey, if he decides not to comply with the subpoena, that's one thing. It is still Georgia uh, justice, and he could very well go to jail for not complying with a uh, subpoena there. This isn't like the House of Representatives. He doesn't have options here. He needs to show up. And once the Supreme Court says, yeah, fuck you, you're done, go talk to him, he really doesn't have much else to say about it. All right, the House Select Committee investigating Donald Trump's coup attempt culminating in January 6th attack on the U.S. Uh, today, and this is, this is unprecedented too, today the January 6th committee subpoenaed the former president, almost certainly setting up a legal battle over his likely refusal to honor the summons. Now, we know at the end of the hearing, the last January 6th hearing, they voted nine to nothing to subpoena Donald Trump. Now, a lot of people say, well, he just won't show up or he'll plead the fifth or he'll do whatever. And I've said all along, I don't think the January 6th committee ever had any intention of him actually testifying. It was more a it was more kind of a, a jab or a head fuck to this guy. You notice how they wrote this 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 statement basically taunting or or challenging Donald Trump. And they're thinking, you know, Donald Trump's such a crazy, stupid motherfucker um, that he might just accept it. Now, if his lawyers have anything to say about it, they won't let him talk. If he ends up going in front of the January 6th committee, somebody better get on the pay-per-view because he wants to do it live on television. And this is going to be far more entertaining than a heavyweight championship bout, some special movie or some special documentary or concert or something. This is going to be entertaining as fuck. And nobody's going to miss that. Here's the trick, though. Now, with the J6 committee hearings, they're always saying, well, only the Democrats are listening. The Republicans aren't listening. And that may or may not be true. But if Donald Trump's testifying, the Republicans will be watching and listening. And Donald Trump, without any question, will be fucking destroyed in that testimony. Now, what the subpoena does, it commands Trump to submit evidence. He's asked to provide documents by November 4th and then sit for a deposition on November 14th. So this is coming up in the next three weeks or less. Um, Benny Thompson said, we have assembled overwhelming evidence, including from dozens of your former appointees and staff that you personally orchestrated and oversaw a multi-part effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election and obstruct the peaceful transfer of power. Um, That was a accompanying letter sent by Benny Thompson, who is the uh, chairman of the House committee, and it was also signed by Liz Cheney, who is the co-chair. Now, Trump's staff did not respond to a HuffPost request. Huffington Post was trying to get some kind of comment out of him. Uh, Trump had not reacted to the subpoena on his personal social media platform. Now, the letter to Trump says he purposefully 
and maliciously spread lies about fraud in the election, tried to corrupt the Department of Justice into making false statements to help him, orchestrated and oversaw a scheme to submit fake electors to the National Archives and Congress and pressured his own vice president to unilaterally declare him the winner of the election on January 6th. He did all that stuff. You see, what's happening, they're not talking to him like they're saying, oh, please come and talk to us. You have so much information. We'd like to hear it. They're saying, motherfucker, you're guilty. You better get here and talk about it, and you better have your side of the story, or you're going to be fucked. And I think part of that, they think that it's going to be enough of a challenge or questioning Donald Trump's toughness that he might say, fuck it, I'm going, I'm going. I still don't think he'll actually go because every other time when he's been asked to testify, he says, sure, I'll testify. And then it never happens. Everything with Donald Trump is about perception. He wants to appear as being tough or the smartest guy in the room. When it comes to the top secret documents, he says they were declassified or they were planted. But you never see that information in the filings with the court because they're lies. What Donald Trump is trying to do in that case and in this case with the January 6th committee is trying to get the people at large to hear what he says, but he will never admit to it under oath. Well, he might. His lawyers won't, especially now after one of, one or two of them got busted for lying to the FBI. But um, he might say it. Donald Trump, it's impossible for Donald Trump not to lie. So this is what's most fearful to his lawyers. You put him on the, uh, on the uh, witness stand, put him under oath, he will most certainly lie at some point. It could be a small lie, it could be a big lie, but he will start to lie and then the lies will flow like a fucking river. And Donald Trump will not be able to control himself. So if nothing else, they're going to take him down for perjury. But I think the important thing is here, that the J6 committee doesn't really expect him to testify. And they pointed out in Benny Thompson's letter, we, all, we already got the information. We got the evidence. We've got the witnesses. We know what you did. We're just basically giving your chance, giving you a chance to tell your side of the story, to maybe explain away some of these things that we perceive as crimes. Now, if Donald Trump actually believed he was not guilty for these crimes, you would think he'd want to step up and say, oh, yeah, what that really means or what I really did here or what I really said there. But you really can't do that because everything that the January 6th committee is accusing him of, he's fucking done. And there's not even any question about it. I mean, all you have to do is look at the videotape or his post on um, True Social it's right there in black and white. Donald Trump, for some reason, has always believed that if he commits crimes under the noses of the Democrats, nobody will touch him. And let's be perfectly honest, up to now, that's been the case. He's that blatant about it. He'll do it right under your nose and dare you to do something. And because he was president of the United States, nobody ever did anything. Well, he's no longer president of the United States, so it's going to be interesting to see what the DOJ does. See, whether Donald Trump testifies in front of the J6 committee or not, it really doesn't matter. J6 isn't an organization that's going to file an indictment or take him to court. That's the DOJ. And the DOJ um, will probably either does or will have all the evidence that the January 6th committee has. Whether the January 6th committee refers Donald Trump for criminal action or doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. Keep in mind the DOJ is already on it. They've got a grand jury. They've got a ton of evidence. And uh, without question, a lot of that evidence points toward Donald Trump. So, as I've said in previous podcasts, the real value of the January 6th committee is getting out the evidence and the witnesses and letting us know. Because as I told you before, um, 
in the grand jury. It's all secret. We don't know what's going on in the grand jury. Fact is, there might be some crazy shit going on in the grand jury. We just don't know yet. But with the J6 committee, they bring all this evidence to light, and that puts on pressure, puts pressure on Merrick Garland. He can't just hide stuff so he can justify his position. He's got this stuff coming at him from all sides on the media, and he has to consider that when he makes decisions like whether he indicts Donald Trump or not. So what the J6 committee is is important, but the ultimate goal is with the DOJ issuing the uh, the indictments and taking people to court. That's where it's all really going to happen. <clears throat> So if any of you are concerned about Donald Trump actually showing up to the J6 committee and testifying, the likelihood of that is slim and none, more likely none. There is really no good reason for him to do it. And fact is, the J6 committee doesn't have a lot to gain because whatever Donald Trump will say will be a lie uh, or he'll implicate himself, but he doesn't even need to do that. They already have the evidence and the witnesses and such. They're just doing it to, uh, I don't know, jab Donald Trump, push him, hurt his ego, or just to freak him out. I mean, they pointed out we have all the overwhelming evidence that you did this, that you were involved. Now, the natural action for Donald Trump is to deny it and blame somebody else for something else. But we haven't really heard him do that in this situation. He knows he's in a tight spot. The other interesting thing is we know that Donald Trump's attorneys are negotiating (laughs) with the J6 committee about the prospect of testifying. Well, why would he do that if he's not going to testify? Again, it's about buying time. If it looks like he's operating in good faith, with the J6 committee, they're not going to refer him to the DOJ for not complying to a subpoena. Now, when November 4th hits and he doesn't turn over the documents, that's going to cause a problem. Then on November 14th, when he doesn't show up for testimony, that's going to be even a bigger problem. And at that point, then the uh, J6 committee has to decide, do we refer him for criminal contempt of Congress? Now, they may do that, but I think when it gets to Merrick Garland, nothing will come out of it, much like we saw with Merrick Garland. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's how I think it will be. And it's largely due to the fact that uh, Merrick Garland and the DOJ are looking at far more important, far more damaging, and far bigger indictments. They don't want to muddy the water with some little bullshit thing. So we'll we'll see what happens, Uh, but don't be too excited if he doesn't show up. It doesn't really hurt anything for the DOJ or the J6 committee. All the evidence is already brought forward. It's just a chance for him to tell his side of the story. And quite frankly, whatever he says is going to be absolute bullshit. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Given that we know Donald Trump stole literally hundreds of top-secret documents, that is disturbing, that is disconcerting. But now we're hearing about what some of those documents might be, and it's even more disconcerting. We just found out about some yesterday. The former president, Donald Trump, kept at least one document describing Iran's missile program and documents detailing highly sensitive intelligence operations aimed at China, according to sources familiar with the matter who spoke to the Washington Post. Now, this is interesting. We knew that there was some uh, documents that were uh, regarding foreign countries. Now, these are two different kinds of documents and uh, offer up two different kinds of danger. 
The fact that he had documents on Iran's missiles, does that upset the United States or does that upset Iran? And isn't Iran already mad at Donald Trump? Don't they have a warrant out for him for something else? I think they do. But a country like Iran is unpredictable, and they are dangerous. And when they don't like somebody, they just fucking kill them. Even if they happen to be in the United States, they wouldn't be opposed to doing that. They're kind of a terrorist organization. So my question is, if Iran now knows that Donald Trump had these documents regarding their missiles— and maybe showing them around to a bunch of people, how are they going to feel about that? Are they going to be angry? Are they going to be angry at Donald Trump? Are they going to want to try to get those documents back? If they got the documents back, would it make a difference? Donald Trump's probably showed them to everybody who wanted to see them. That's going to be interesting. Obviously, that is illegal for him to have such a document in this country as a president or even a former president. So this is going to cause him some problems. But does this open up other problems from Iran directly? (laughs) I don't know. Donald Trump has got so much shit falling down around him, uh, it almost doesn't matter. Now, the other bit of documents that we're kind of talking about are, are intelligence operations aimed at China. That's a different kind of trouble. Because you see, what that would probably do is identify our uh, our uh, operatives in China or around China that was getting information for us about China, something that's fairly important. Now, every country spies, and of course, we need to know what's going on in China before it happens so that we can protect everything and us. Well, the interesting thing about China and CIA operatives from the United States in China. There was an article that came out in 2017, and there was an inordinate amount of people that could be classified as spies working for the U.S. that were killed in China. Now, this is 2017. Donald Trump was in office at that point. He had access to the documents. And you know, a lot of people say when he was out of office, he took the documents with him. That's dangerous. No, the fact is, when Donald Trump took office in 2017, from that very moment, those documents were unsafe. He was showing them around, and the damage could have been done five fucking years ago. So people who are worried about him doing damage with the documents he has now— I'm willing to believe that uh, whatever damage he can do has already been done. It's not a, a matter of trying to avoid or stop the potential dangers. It's about cleaning up the fucking messes that Donald Trump have completed. Now, the exceptional sensitivity of these documents and the reckless exposure of the invaluable sources and methods of the U.S. intelligence capabilities concerning these foreign adversaries, and they are adversaries, will certainly influence the Justice Department's determination of whether to charge Mr. Trump or others with willful retention of national defense information under the Espionage Act. I don't think there's any question. They have to indict. What is more obvious uh, pertaining to espionage than exactly what happened here? Now, the documents pose multiple risk if they fell into the wrong hands, and you can almost bet they did, including endangering intelligence operations and collection methods. And other countries could potentially retaliate against the U.S. for those clandestine actions. And it sounds like China already has. As we said, there's been an inordinate amount of... uh, CIA operatives that went missing or were killed. How do you suppose that happened? I mean, spies are pretty low-key and under the radar. Unless some fucking clowns hand the government of China documents that lay out the names and descriptions of said people, which is what it sounds like Donald Trump did. And if, in fact, he did that, that's certainly espionage, if not treason. So, 
we'll see what happens with that. But every day we're hearing about new things, things that are more disturbing. And I think you'll see that continue up through the midterms. And then after the midterms, when the elections are over, that's when the gush will start. That's when the indictments will start to hit. That's when some more information will come out. All bets will be off after the midterms. And it's largely due to the fact that, you know, Fonnie Willis down in Georgia or Merrick Garland in the DOJ don't want to give the impression that what they're doing is political. They don't want to diminish what they are going to ultimately do. It may sound silly to you and me. But for those folks, it is a thing, and they're just trying to be safe. I mean, we're on uh, October 22nd right now. we got a week left in this this month, and then the midterms are November 8th. So it's a matter of sitting on it now, whatever they have, and whatever they're going to do for roughly about two weeks. And uh, at this point, it won't really make much difference if there's indictments that come before or after the election. I don't know that it's going to make much difference. The people who can change their minds or would change their minds certainly have seen enough to do that. These indictments won't help. But after the fact, say the Democrats win the House and the Senate, well, things are going to get very fucking ugly for Donald Trump and all his little acolytes that have been following him around. Well, just when you thought things were going to finally get settled with this student loan forgiveness thing, a federal appeals court put a temporary administrative hold on President Trump or President Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness program, barring the administration from canceling loans covered under the policy while the court considers a challenge to it. And you know who's challenging this. It's the Republicans. The order from the 8th U.S. Circuit of uh, Circuit Court of Appeals comes in a case about by six Republican-led states asking for a preliminary injunction to halt the policy after a district court dismissed the case earlier this week. The effort is separate from a Wisconsin taxpayers group challenge to the program that was recently rejected by the Supreme Court. Now, the appeals court gave the administration until Monday to respond to the state's request, and the states will have until Tuesday to reply to that response. The states had asked the appeals court to act before Sunday, the earliest date the Biden administration had said it would grant student loan discharges. So now, What that means is we'll get an answer to this fairly quickly, probably next week. And I can't imagine uh, this is going to lose in court. They will go ahead and forgive the $10,000 or the $20,000 given the circumstances. And honestly, Joe Biden's not just sitting on his hands. He's fighting back. And this is what I've truly enjoyed watching with the Democrats, particularly Joe Biden. Usually they lay back and are the bigger people and uh, are nice about everything. Well, now a lot of people are on the tack. Stacey Abrams down in Georgia in her debate um, went after the incumbent. And Joe Biden's not, as I say, sitting on his hands either. President Joe Biden took off the gloves on Friday in a speech pummeling Republican lawmakers who backed massive federal subsidies for business owners, including themselves, during the COVID-19 issue, but are now complaining about the student debt forgiveness. Now, this is what Joe Biden said. Who in the hell do they think they are? Biden asked to applause. He was at Delaware State University, where 75% of the students are recipients of Pell Grants, geared toward lower-income college applicants. Biden says, I don't want to hear it from MAGA Republicans who had hundreds of thousands of dollars of debts, even million dollars in pandemic relief loans forgiven, who are now attacking me for helping working-class and middle-class Americans. Georgia GOP Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene and her husband got over $180,000 in business loans forgiven. He also bashed Senator Ted Cruz amid loud boos from the audience. Cruz had criticized the student's debt program for helping people he dismissed as slackers. 
Republican governors wrote me a letter saying this relief only helps the elite few. Y'all know you're the elite few. I knew you were really special, but no, you're the elite few, Biden added in his dig at the politicians. And this is really what Joe needs to do. He needs to embarrass the Republicans. And he makes an excellent point. We're looking at $10,000 of forgiveness to most people, maybe $20,000 of forgiveness. I think Joe Biden fell short in doing what he did. I don't really think it's going to help people as much as he thinks. I mean, these kids will still have debt. They will still have payments, and it's not going to make their lives easier. It may decrease the time of the loan, but fuck, we've got people with loans that are going on for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. I mean, they're in their 50s and they're still paying for college loans that they incurred in the 20s, in their 20s. That's that's fucking ridiculous. But the point is here is in spite of the fact that I don't think it's far enough and I don't think it's good enough, uh, it's fair to compare this to the Republicans complaining about it, who got these PPP loans, some of them not even legally, didn't use them legally, getting hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, and then getting them forgiven. Now, they like to call the kids, the college students, slackers. But what do you call these motherfuckers? They already got money. They got given more money, and then they got forgiven and didn't have to pay this money back. I think this is an excellent comparison, and I would love to hear the answer for that. But you know what? You won't. You won't hear Marjorie Taylor Greene trying to justify why she got $180,000 forgiven. She won't say anything. She'll move on to the next thing. She'll say, yeah, but what about Hunter Biden's laptop? Fuck Hunter Biden's laptop. The FBI has had Hunter Biden's laptop for two years. If there was some big shit on it, we would have heard about it by now. But there is nothing. So I think we'll see a a fairly quick resolution to this uh, student loan forgiveness thing. The loan forgiveness will go out. It will be done. It won't be enough, but it's a nice gesture. And hopefully if the Democrats win the House and the Senate in, uh, in a couple of weeks, that at some point in the next two years, they can expand on that forgiveness. People always argue with me about it. Why shouldn't they have to pay? I had to pay. Well, you were paying a lot less for your college education if you're my age. Uh, Secondly, we've got a whole generation of people saddled with fucking debt. And while you don't care about them, while you don't care about them, you should. Because these people are the people that are going to take up the mantle and drive this economy. And if none of them can afford or qualify for houses, cars, trips, whatever the fuck they want to do with their money, if they can't do that, guess what? Everything you own that you want to sell, including your house, will drop in price. You bitch about what it's going to cost to give these kids relief. But wait till it bites you in the ass and it costs you half the value of your home. The one thing you were using for your retirement and now you're going to lose it. Because the only people in a position or desire buying a home are these millennials and these Gen Zs that are saddled with deep, deep debt. So you don't look beyond the end of your nose. You're not very bright. We know that. But... um, this is why we need the Democrats to win in the midterms. We can't, we can't work off the basis, the thought process of the Republicans, because they aren't very bright, they're very single-minded, and they only care about one thing, and that's themselves. And unfortunately, when you're in a country like this, and we have a government that's supposed to be working for all of this, that's what we should expect out of them. But that's not what the Republicans want to do. Well, another bit of big news, and we talked about this already in the podcast, but I'm going to bring it up again. Former Donald Trump advisor Steve Bannon was sentenced to four months and fined $6,500 on Friday after previously being found guilty of acting in contempt of Congress in a legal saga that this all started about a year ago. 
So he gets four months. Now keep in mind, uh, the federal prosecutors were asking for six months. Steve Bannon was asking for zero months. So there was a compromise. Now keep in mind, this judge that sentenced Steve Bannon was a Trump appointee. Now, in real terms, with the crime that he committed, the maximum sentence would be one year. The minimum sentence, the minimum mandatory sentence is 30 days. So four months isn't crazy. It's, it's you know, it's not a huge deal as far as time, but it, it sends a message. But what this judge did that is fucked up was he told Steve Bannon that he could stay out of jail while he was making an appeal. His sentence will start pending an appeal, presuming that the appeal might get him out of it. Well, the appeal won't. It's a pretty simple cut-and-dried case. You got a subpoena. You didn't show up. You were asked to show up. You still didn't show up. The actual crime is not complying with a subpoena, and clearly he didn't comply with a subpoena. Now, he might have all kinds of excuses and such, but that doesn't matter. He did not comply to a subpoena. There are no exceptions to subpoenas. Certainly not with the J6 committee, but uh, he's going to have a lot more trouble when the DOJ asked him to comply to a subpoena. So what that means is, is, is they're, they're trying to appeal this. Steve Bannon gets to stay out of jail or prison and gets to keep running his mouth. I mean, right after the court thing, he came out and he sounded like a drunken fucking uh, dictator. He was talking about all the stuff, uh, how, how there's a red wave coming in the midterms. And when that happens, we're going to take over. We're going to impeach Merrick Garland. We're going to impeach Joe Biden. The Republicans will take control and we'll do this and that and the other. Now, when people hear that, some people might say, oh, my God, I hope that doesn't happen. Well, let me remind you, prior to the uh, 2020 election, he and a bunch of other Trump fucks were making all these claims. Oh, it's going to be a red wave. Donald Trump's going to win easily. Just you wait and see. And of course, none of that happened. They were fucking wrong. And then after the election, of course, they wanted to get Donald Trump back into office, and they said the same thing. Oh, we're going to court. Donald Trump will be in back in office, probably with JFK Jr. or some fuck, by August, then by September, then by October. Now it's been two years, and guess what? None of that shit has happened. So I kind of welcome... Um, Steve Bannon saying this about the red wave coming in a couple of weeks at the midterm elections, because his track record isn't good. He's not very accurate. So if that's the case and his streak continues, then I'll be right. There'll be no red wave. There'll be more of a blue wave and the Republicans will be fucked. And Steve Bannon is fucked, too. Now, a lot of people out there are suggesting he only got four months. That's not fair. He'll just be back out doing whatever he's doing. But you have to remember something. This crime and this sentence for not complying with a, um, with a uh, subpoena is the least of his problems. We know that Steve Bannon was involved in the insurrection just as much as Roger Stone was. We know that there are things that are going to come out of the J6 committee where Steve Bannon was involved. I mean, prior to the insurrection, he kind of predicted it on his show. There's a videotape of him saying it. So he's got a lot of troubles. As much as he might be able to delay his sentence, he won't be able to delay it forever. Ultimately, he will have to do the jail time. There is no fucking question about it. But again, that may be the least of his problems. There's an excellent chance he'll get an indictment from the DOJ for his part in the insurrection. And we'll be hearing about his involvement sometime soon. So Steve Bannon might be in and out in four months for this uh, not complying with the subpoena. 
But that ain't nothing. If they go after him for obstruction or treason or insurrection or seditious conspiracy, we're talking about a lot more time. We're talking 10 to 20 years. And that's what Steve Bannon will get. There's just no question about it. So uh, don't fret too much about Steve Bannon not getting the amount of punishment that you were hoping for. His punishment is still to come, and it is without question going to happen. All right, now prominent conservative attorney, frequent Donald Trump critic George Conway, On Friday, he weighed in after the former president was officially subpoenaed by the House Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol. In its letter to President uh, the Select Committee, he wrote, As demonstrated in our hearings, we have assembled overwhelming evidence, including from dozens of your former appointees, staff, and you personally orchestrated and oversaw a multi-part effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election. I told you that earlier, and it was worth repeating. Conway then offered his analysis on Twitter. On Twitter, Conway retweeted a post from the official account of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Do you have information about a white-collar crime, the FBI asked. They directed people to report it swiftly to the Bureau's website. Although the term drop a dime came from the practice of leaving a telephone t- telephonic tip for authorities through a payphone, Conway did something like the modern equivalent by leaving his tip pl- publicly on Twitter. He says, yes. There's this guy in South Florida who I hear has stolen a lot of valuable papers, Conway wrote. You may want to search all his hideouts. He included a Photoshop picture imagining a Trump mugshot. Conway also discussed the subpoena on MSNBC's with Chris Hayes. This is actually a pretty good draft indictment, Conway said. They did a very, very good job of summarizing the different methods by which Trump acted and corruptly and fraudulently. So what Conway's saying, and it's something that we're all saying, yeah, you searched Mar-a-Lago, and now they're talking about searching Mar-a-Lago again. In fact, Donald Trump's people are negotiating with the DOJ as to how it would be done, how it would be supervised, and they're talking about going to Mar-a-Lago again and having Trump allow them to do that. Well, the fact that Donald Trump would allow them to do that would tell you that he's moved the shit. And that's what Conway's saying, basically. He's moved the shit. Where would he move it to? Well, Bedminster? To the Trump Tower? God knows who, where he would have put this. But it's not down in fucking Mar-a-Lago anymore. He got burned once. Donald Trump's stupid, but he's not dumb. If there's anything down in Mar-a-Lago, it's gone now. So really what the DOJ has to do, or the FBI has to do, is step it up and go search his other residences or his businesses because that's probably where it is. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there saying it's buried with his wife on his golf course. Doubt that. I really highly doubt that. I hate that when Democrats say that because they're just buying into this conspiracy thing that the Republicans do. And frankly, the Democrats should be better than that. Now, I suppose there could be some things buried with his wife, but so what? Nobody can see them. You don't need all the documents to prosecute Donald Trump. You only really need one. And there are hundreds. So they've got enough to put him away. Let's just focus on that. Let's get him out of the uh, out of the system, out of the narrative. And then if we really want to dig up his ex-wife, we can fucking do that. All right, the last thing I want to talk about is something that Joe Biden and I agree on. President Biden says he expects record turnout for next month's midterm elections, just as more people voted in the 2020 presidential election than in any time in American history. And I couldn't agree more with Joe Biden. Biden spoke about a variety of issues in an interview with MSNBC's Jonathan Capehart that aired on Friday. I don't know if you watched it. I missed it, but I will watch it ultimately. 
He said the election is not a referendum, but a choice about what kind of country people want. He said Republicans have made their positions clear when most of them voted against his bipartisan infrastructure bill and all of them voted against the Inflation Reduction Act, a major climate, health care, and tax bill that passed in August. They don't have a platform other than tear down what I've been able to do. We've been able to do, and I don't know what they're for, he said. And that's exactly right. They don't have a platform. The only thing that's on their platform is own the libs. Biden said the public should be concerned about threats to democracy, and the country is at one inflection point in history where certain MAGA Republicans believe threatening violence is appropriate. I honestly don't think there's going to be any fucking violence not in any major scale. He said he's optimistic because the country has been in this position before. He said the fundamental elements of Americans are the ideas of fairness, decency, and honesty, which is baked in to most people that aren't Republicans. I added that. I think as long as we take seriously the threat, I don't think the threat will come to fruition, Biden said. Capehart questioned Biden about polls showing that most of the voters trust Republicans more to handle the economy. And he kind of shrugged that off. I mean, let's be honest. They talk about how bad the economy is. And yes, inflation is a bit high. And uh, that's been coming down. Gas prices are high. But I've always said before, okay, you're mad about inflation. You're mad about gas prices. So that justifies you making a choice to turn to racism, treason, to anti-Semitism and misogyny, taking rights away from women. That's a better choice for you. That's a better choice than high gas prices and inflation. Come on. The average person can't buy into that. You can say whatever you want, but... The economy is important, and let's be honest, most people who are in this country are just like the politicians. We don't care about anything other than what's going to affect us. There are many people out there that are mad about paying gas prices and don't give two fucks about Roe v. Wade, either either because they are against Roe v. Wade or that they don't think it's going to affect them. What they don't understand is This is kind of an unprecedented deal when our government takes away a constitutional right. People will say there's no right for abortion in the Constitution. No, there isn't. However, this abortion issue was placed uh, alongside right to privacy. So if you blow um, abortion out of the water, you're also blowing right to privacy. And let's be perfectly honest, a right to privacy is a bipartisan issue. Nobody, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, wants your privacy invaded. And that's what will happen by overturning Roe v. Wade. People just have to be explained to about this. And apparently when we're talking about Republicans, we've got to do it fucking slowly so they understand it. Anyhow. I do think there's going to be an unprecedented amount of people that are voting. I know a lot of Democrats are going, yeah, I hope you're right. We'll see. That's not the attitude you want to take going into this. You've got to go into this with confidence. Assume you're going to win because I assume we are going to win. There are no facts that support the other side winning. There is zero facts. Yeah, they can try to cheat and they can try to gerrymander. But the bottom line is, if we're talking about sheer numbers, if a crazy amount of Democrats come out in an unprecedented way, they can't stop it. They can't fucking stop it. And all indications suggest that may happen. We know in Georgia that there were uh, close to 450 early voters that came out in Georgia, 40% of those folks were people of color. But when you think about that many people coming out in a midterms, that's crazy. And we also know that when more people vote, that's beneficial to the Democrats. That's just one little sign, of course. You can't gauge the whole fucking election on that. However, I think the fear that people had in 2020 is back with them now. 
And that is going to cause them, as I've said before, to get off the couch, get up and vote because they're afraid of what will happen if they don't. And I agree with Biden. I think we're going to have an unprecedented amount of voters in the midterms. Um, (laughs) I'll take Donald Trump's quote. It'll be like nothing you've ever seen before. But I think that's true. I think you'll see a crazy amount of voters for a midterm, something we have never seen. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.